there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Bohinen! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. DPR could do with a bit of magic from him. Maybe this is it. It is! Andy Sinton from nothing. Brian Roy has headed for his interlead. Whelan. Oh, what a goal from Noel Whelan. No power on it whatsoever. But Saibi has made a horrendous error. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Tony oh. Hassan, no. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Skoll and the new series of Quickly Kevin is mere weeks away. But until that new series starts, we're dropping in excerpts from prior subscriber-only episodes that have never been heard before on the feed. And the other thing we're doing is letting you vote on the selections. So the choices for this week's episode was The Divine Ponytail, a Netflix film about Roberto Baggio, uh, Goal, about, you know Goal, you know what that is, and Fever Pitch, based on the novel of the same name. And I can reveal the winner was, of course, Fever Pitch, with 44% of the vote. So, this episode was recorded way back in May 2022. If you want to hear this episode in full, plus all the other Quickly Kevin subscriber episodes that we've been doing down the years, you can get them all by joining the Quickly Kevin fan club at anotherslice.com forward slash Quickly Kevin. Enough chat, let's get into the episode. Here it is. A watch along, a quickly Kevin Film Club special, Fever Pitch. Um, we're here to talk about Fever Pitch, the movie. Sadly, yeah. and, <laughs> do you know I've never read Fever Pitch. Oh, the book's what? incredible. I know it's one of those books that I've read chapters of it somehow, but I've never actually sat and read it. It's like for a long time I hadn't fully seen Titanic; I'd just seen bits of it. Yeah, I've not seen Titanic. I mean, that's absolutely criminal. That's absolutely criminal. Um, but um, it, the book is incredible. The book is only five years prior to the film. I thought there would be... In my head, there was a bigger gap. Um, yeah. But this, this came out in 1997, this film. Uh, it's not to be confused with a remake uh, from uh, 2005 based around the Boston Red Sox. And directed by the Farrelly brothers as well. So yeah, and yeah. starring Drew Barrymore and that guy that now is a talk show host, whatever his name is. Jimmy um, Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Um, which I haven't seen. Have you seen that one? No. I have, yeah. I threw it at the cinema at the time, and it's... I mean, it's at the cinema? Yeah, but that was back when I was watching everything. I had a mega pass, so it was all, it was all free. <laughs> Except pass. now I know in later life, actually, it was my time. The strongest currency of all. <laughs> I can't get any of that back. <laughs> uh, I, like that, I like that you're kind of just mentioning there like oh this is the fever pitch from 1997 do you think anyone's tuning in thinking oh I wanted to hear about the 2005 fever pitch with Jimmy Fallon (laughs) yeah there's four people that listen in Boston that are absolutely living right now (laughs) Drew Barrymore she's she's signed up to live here okay so have you had you seen this film before 
Yes, I had, but a long, long time ago. Which which football player would you say could have the special move mega pass? Javi <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alonso. Does it have to be nineties? Yeah, Mulby maybe. Yeah, Mulby. Which yeah. manager? <laughs> which manager would have his team park the mega bus? <laughs> Warnock every time. Um, have you seen it, Skull? I think I have. I think I have seen it. Because when it, but then when I was watching it, I was like, oh, did, was I really watching it? Because there's bits of it that surprised me. I remember thinking it was quite good. You were surprised that Arsenal beat Liverpool at the end, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's got it. <laughs> They've done it well, though. It looks real. <laughs> Best football clips from any movie we've seen. Yeah, yeah. They actually looked like they were playing football. <laughs> um, so, I, I had this on VHS and I bought it. This I can't remember. I hadn't really remembered this until I was. I bought it in a service station. <laughs> of course, <laughs> on the way back from an Argyle away game, and um, and they put it on on the bus. Oh wow! Yeah, so everyone watched it. The only other film I remember watching was someone had Dante's Peak. They <laughs> <laughs> bought a service station. I don't know why someone had a. I just remember watching Dante's Peak on the way back from Burnley when Plymouth had got relegated in 1998. Yeah, so I had it. So I've probably seen it a few times. And in my head, it was quite good. But it it has not aged well. Or no. I've aged. I think it's a combination. I think hopefully society and our views of the kind of the gender divide and then your roles within how much are we going to dig into the book and how much of the book this reflects is it worth kind of briefly yeah, talking yeah, I'd about like that? to know actually i think for me the book is i mean i haven't read it in years but i've read bits of it over the years and it still holds up i think the book is a very intelligent and very kind of um self analytical memoir yes that at the time, was saying things that hadn't really been said before about obsession and stuff like that. And I think the film has lost all of the things that made the book work for what is a potentially tricky subject to write about. Yes. Would you say and that's I fair? And I, yeah, mm. and I think, I, I think that's totally fair. I can also see why those choices had to be made because the book is very formless it's kind of yes. it's very internalized it's all kind of in a monologue it's it goes in different places the different chapters are about different things and what, what nick hornby and the filmmakers have essentially done is they've distilled what is one chapter of the book from my memory which is the sort of arsenal 89 the famous 89 season and then they it jumps back and forth in time so you see the sort of young i'm going to call him nick hornby because he is essentially nick hornby the character but a sort of yeah. fictionalized you nick hornby's cameo by the way no i didn't yeah. know i couldn't i don't know what he looks like all right, he plays the opposition manager when that team is getting thrashed in the football match. Oh, the sort of the kids' school yeah. football match. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't spot him. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so they sort of they've they've sort of taken and distilled a single chapter of the book with some kind of flashbacks to sort of I, tell the story of how he becomes. I was just going to say, I remember at the time Nick Hornby, or not at the t at some point, I've read Nick Hornby say that he didn't write High Fidelity the movie because. That was an adaptation of the book, so it was just a, he'd already written that story. Yeah. Whereas he wrote Fever Pitch the movie because he actually felt like it was a different thing to the book. Uh, okay. And I think it suffers because yeah. of that, and probably suffers. You know, Nick Hornby's gone on to be 
a very accomplished screenwriter, you know, has been nominated and possibly won awards for some of his work. But this is, if not his first, but definitely falls into a lot of kind of cliches and tropes of someone who has never written a romantic comedy before. So it's very, very one-dimensional, a lot of this film. There's there's bits... I don't know whether this was in the original script, so it's been impossible to know. There's bits where he does a kind of monologue voiceover that are the more navel-gazing-y elements of the book trying to be weaved in. Yeah. But they're so few and far between. They're so few and far between, you, you lose that. I, I also think the, the whole crux of the problem of the film is for me, watching it in 2022, the idea of someone being obsessed with a football team at the time felt quite a fresh new thing. And now it just feels a bit, it just feels sad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, it, Do you know no, what I mean? Yeah. I was just like, I don't know. Maybe I'm moving in the wrong, wrong circles. I don't know anyone like this. Yeah. There becomes, I was thinking about it. I felt exactly the same way. There comes a time in your life where your responsibilities outstrip what you, you know, your ability to love a football club, to be that much of a crazed fan for a football club. And actually, it was quite jarring when he, he basically decides to leave his pregnant girlfriend in order to kind of follow Arsenal a bit bit more yeah. uh, but it, that's portrayed as a kind of really valiant you know thing to do and it's actually like oh my god like I kept uh, I've written this note about 10 times who am I supposed to feel sorry for who am I supposed to feel happy I for yeah I didn't particularly yeah. like him yeah yeah I, I don't think anyone really apart from Mark Strong's character his best mate you kind of like him because you probably know or have known people like that but also he's so one-dimensional it's difficult to dislike him because all the attempts to humanise the main characters, I think, fail, or they are reflective of a certain time and space, which is that kind of, like, 80s and 90s trope, which is the man-child. You know, it's men behaving badly, it's loaded magazine, it's all of that, and you kind of go, oh, thank fucking God we're not, like, expected to be that, or we aren't like that. I think it's worth quickly... um, Let's let's, let's drop the trailer in for those that haven't seen it, and then just give a very brief overview of the narrative of the film for anyone that hasn't seen it. We don't have to go to Arsenal every time I'm in London, do we? I would have thought we'd be on that stage now. We'll never be beyond that stage. Would you like a lift? You don't know where I live. Yes, I do. Crowd 10. How about you? Awesome. Inside the stadium or just nearby? What was she like? Oh, she's just one of those women, you know. If you like football, you must be a yob. Is she fit? I've seen this film. You end up shagging on the carpet. If we end up shagging on the carpet, then I will buy you a new carpet. I owe you a new carpet. What are those? Iron Nickers Hughes ending up with a yob. Oh, let's go get hammered. Yeah! Everyone's like that. You know, you'll be seeing your sister next season. Sisters don't have seasons. Yeah, whatever. Yes, yes, yes. 21 years I've been going to last one. 21 years. I'm going next week to a football match. Yeah! It's all a sinister form of male manipulation. And Saturday's the one day of the week when I'm not a responsible adult. I'll turn into someone your age is certainly not as sensible as you. Go! You're careful and, and organised and all that sort of thing. I need somebody like that. And you need somebody like me. The opposite. Anything. Do you know what you wanted 18 years ago? Actually, I don't want to marry David Cassidy. I don't want bigger tits. Well, maybe everyone should want something they've always wanted. 
Champions! When was the last time you felt this nervous about a league game? After watch the big match? Well, I'll be thinking of you tonight. Every now and then, not very often, but it happens, you catch a glimpse of a world that doesn't stop in May and begin in August. So the film follows Paul, who is played by Colin Firth, who's very, you know, solid. He's very good, well, isn't he, Colin Firth? But he does, uh, he's, uh, he's trying to do a North London accent. If I did, is he? I thought he just. I thought that was just his accent. No, it's very fucking hell. Did and you like, think? Yeah, it softens was, as the I film goes on. It was a bit posh. <laughs> I thought it was a bit angular and a bit yeah, pointy. I thought he was Colin Firth when he's speaking, but those moments when he's supposed to be a sort of quote in open quotes football fan, he does lean on the sort of unconvincing kind of terraces fan. Yeah. Which I you just don't buy from Colin Firth. You know, this is this is Mr. Darcy. I didn't find him convincing on, on any level as a football fan. And it's quite interesting doing the reading around this film that he... He's not a football fan. He's not a football man. He knew nothing about football. And kind of Nick Hornby had to give him a crash course in what it's like to be a football fan. So took him to Arsenal, talked him through, you know, what it is. And and, and he says that he sort of, he got on board and he did get a, a fairly good understanding of the game in a quick amount of time. But I don't think you can fake that there's a line in the in the book and in the movie that talks about you know you have to put in kind of years of work to really become like a fan of a club or a football fan because you get exposed really quickly if you don't know what you're talking about yeah i think so so colin firth plays paul who's a teacher a kind of uh rudderless teacher at a north london comprehensive uh, he supports Arsenal. It's the 88-89 season, which we all know ends with Arsenal winning the league on the last day of the season. Um, Arsenal haven't won the year, league in 18 years, which I'll come to. I've got a point on that. And then uh, Ruth Gemmell turns up as a new teacher at the school who's like the opposite of him. She's all uh, very uptight. They end up getting together. And then as the season draws to a close, it's their on-again, off-again relationship because he is too obsessed with Arsenal and she can't deal with it. And then she gets pregnant by accident. And it's kind of on-again, off-again relationship that ends with them getting together for the final time on the last day of the season after Arsenal have beaten Liverpool 2-0. I think that's essentially the gist of the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's 99p on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want, if you want a deeper, if you want a deeper dive, now we're going to analyse it. But that's all you really need to know. Can I ask a question? Can, can I just ask a question? Fever pitches. There isn't much of a love story in the book, is there? So there, is, there no. isn't. Her character doesn't exist, doesn't as far exist. as I'm aware. Okay. He gets Very he gets good. together with his partner at the um, at the end at the end of the book. So so basically, the heart, like most of this is is nothing to do with the book. The backdrop is no. basically the same. Yeah, the book ends in 1989 as well, but I think that's also because the book was written in 1992. I think thematically it tries to address some of the same things, but yeah. it has to do it through the prism of a romantic comedy in the film, whereas the book, it's just about what it's like to be a fan, yeah. but in a way that had never been written, because, you know, yeah. remember this is the 80s and it's hooliganism and sort of, you know, it's pre-Italian 90s. Society's view of the football fan is very much what 
the Ruth Gemmell and her friend, her flatmate, sees. You know, he, he she calls him a yob. I quite like the flatmate. She is actually a, quite an amusing character. She <laughs> is good, yeah. She's very good in it. Yeah, I thought she was actually one of the best characters. I thought, because she really reflected um, that people thought football was a negative influence on society. A lot of people yeah. thought, particularly kind of the middle classes. I've got a question for you about an issue it raised. Just, just quickly, you know that character was played by Lorraine Ashbourne, who's married to Andy Circus. Is she? Yeah, it's interesting oh, showbiz fact. There we go. Um, here's a question for you. Do you think, I don't know whether this is true, but in the last 30 years, football fans have become less into their own club and more just interested in football in general? And that's because there's more football available. So you're watching it all the time. You're reading about it all the time. Because he is specifically into Arsenal. He's not into football. He's into Arsenal. And I find that very rare these days that you get someone who is into a club but not really into football. Yeah, that's interesting. I never considered that. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of football fans out there screaming that we're a sort of prawn sandwich brigade armchair yeah, football course, fans but 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 no i think i think that sort of accessibility of football in a wider sense and also the kind of expansion and popularity of the game i suspect lower league fans might have a slightly different or, or might still have that level of relationship with their club but alongside that have a different relationship with football on the whole what about you skull yeah i think you've hit on something really profound there i think you're right i was just thinking about my nephews they've got They've got a multitude of clubs they follow, like they, they're West Ham fans for mostly, but they'll also have like lower league clubs. They'll keep one eye on Preston. They've got the Spanish club that they, they follow, Real Madrid yeah. as well. They keep an eye on them. So actually, you're right. I think because you've got so much access to different, so much more football now than when we were kids, there is a temptation to just move beyond the borders of your one specific club and look to lots of different teams and have lots of different interests in the kind of football arena. Yeah, I think that's definitely a thing. There is a guy at nursery who I'm friends with. Um, one of the dads, and he is a Liverpool fan. And I remember talking to him during the Euro- Euros, and he was like, yeah, I'm not really interested in it. I'm just a big fan of Liverpool. And I thought, that's m- incredible. <laughs> like, you're, you're just, you're a f- you love football, obviously, because you go to every Liverpool game and you love Liverpool, but you're not interested in watching the Euros. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's mind blowing. That's, that's weird, isn't it? That's I actually I actually think I know you say there'll be people listening at home now who are like I'm sure there will be who are like livid, but I actually think by dint of being a fan of Quitly Kevin, you're not that kind of tribal fan. Yeah. Because this do you know what I mean? This isn't I suppose there is things like Arsenal TV and all that kind of stuff. But by being a fan of Quitly Kevin, by dint of that, you're interested in the culture of football as a whole. Yeah. And I think, from 25 years ago. And another thing I was thinking was like, <laughs> we, we recently did that Tony Adams episode. It's like, when you delve into the stories of all these different clubs, you kind of end up liking them more. Yeah. Like, you've said this before about Manchester United, but like when you, as a football fan, you get interested in all these different stories and so you can't help but like some of the characters involved. And it maybe breaks down a bit of that tribalism somehow. Although there's a bit towards the end, a montage of Arsenal's failures or success, the Arsenal over the years, just before the final game. And in, this is going to get anger some people, but in in the um, montage, there's this feeling of almost like they're try, it's trying to kind of create this feeling of what a special club. Do you know what I mean? And I was watching it, I was going, 
I don't think they are that special a club. Do you know, like, I, do, do you know what? Do you know what? You could do that with literally any football club. To show, show some moving music over footage of players they've had in the last 18 years. But I, and it would fi- I'd actually go further than that, which is to say, but my first note on this is, is Arsenal the right club through which to explore football fandom? Because they are probably... The least kind of... Of all the clubs in England, I would say Arsenal fan. This is going to rile up some Arsenal fans. But they're the le- the least kind of fanatic, aren't they, Arsenal fans? Well, I think like, they became that. I think that became what was seen of them when Wenger was the man. The you know, image going of back the to guy George Graham, Arsenal. Like, boring Arsenal and, like, the Highbury Library. This is not a club known for their ultras. Yeah, but it's, I suppose it's not an ultra. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. It's interesting. I think there is, like... There's, it touches on it, and I think this is almost an interesting thing in the film that doesn't come up enough, which is that he grew up in Maidenhead, and um, and he supports Arsenal, and part of that comes from his lack of feeling of identity growing up in a kind of commuter belt town, and Arsenal gives him that feeling of identity, and I actually think that's a much more interesting concept than a man who just keeps bringing up Arsenal, which is what the film is about. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I felt it it, it went some way to explain his obsession, but I don't think it really touched on it enough. And it made him just feel like an annoying child. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the the whole thing with his dad. And I thought, oh, is the whole thing going to be that it's like a connection to his dad? But no, he's jettisoned. So that, but in the book, it's really well thought through and dealt with and the whole thing is a great meditation on what obsession is and what it does to him. But I just think the film doesn't manage that at all. Totally. I, I, do you know what, the other thing as well, you know the start, the, the, right at the start of the film was really exciting. I, I, was, I was so pumped for the start because they start using like bits of pop culture to describe like what the 80s was like and there's like, yeah, you yeah. see Snoopy flash up and then the Live Aid ticket and there's a great yeah, song, yeah. Which, there's a great song that starts it, I can't remember, is it There She Goes? There She Goes, There She Goes. And I, I was like, oh great, this is going to be like a, da- I thought, this is going to be a bit like Danny Boyle. I almost thought like, has Danny Boyle directed this? Is this the first big thing? You know, you know how Danny Boyle really nailed that kind of um, pop culture thing and setting yeah, you at yeah, a time yeah. like he did at the 2012 yeah. opening ceremony but then like that start was brilliant and then it just kind of just faded away it didn't there was nothing but it just lost that theme of like a bit of nostalgia totally totally the only nostalgia you got was um, and I didn't need I, this blew my mind as a scene really have two grown men ever really played Sabutio <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? When that happened, I, I wrote Sabutio in capital letters and I, and I put, that's nice to see. And then I put in brackets, can't wait what Josh and Chris say about this. <laughs> I, I, mean, look, I, no I, I, I love I love Sabutio, but I love it nostalgically. And there was a period about seven or eight years ago where I, I started buying it again because I was like, oh, I've got disposable income. I'm just going to yeah. buy like the things from my childhood. Yeah. I'm going to build a model of the San Siro. And obviously I never got around to it. And then five years later, I sold it all at a loss. At no point in those five years did I ever, ever think about playing a game or saying to someone, <laughs> hey, I know I know we've got a PS4 and FIFA, but do you want to do you want to play Sabutio? <laughs> <laughs> so this would have been 1989. So obviously they didn't have computer... I mean, you might... They're un- He's, what is he, 28, 29, is he meant to be? Well, Colin Firth is 37. It's 37 
during the filming. Yeah, but he can't be meant to be that he, He's old, not playing he? 37, yeah. <laughs> no, he's playing about 30, right? Well, let's have a look at how old Nick Hornby was in 1989. But you know that, that, that man-child trope, like men behaving badly? Like the, the whole thing about the man-child trope, I thought, was that they're, they're just having fun. He's a kid. But, you know, the character that he plays in Fever Pitch, he's, like, he's so joyless. Even when he's playing Sabutio, he's moaning about losing or oh, you're denigrating yeah. the great 89 Arsenal side because you're losing with them and stuff. You know, it's just like, it's, he's not having fun. Where's the fun? It just seems to be miserable yeah, well, all the that, time. That I think that the thing is, it's weird because you almost need to read the book as a companion piece <laughs> to understand what the film's trying to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he is tormented by Arsenal in the book, but it makes sense. Um, can I ask another thing about the time? Which is, there is that amazing thing where you go, you suddenly realise so many different things. Like, one of the things is that Ruth Gemmell and her um, flatmate, they go jogging. But they've obviously chosen that because jogging feels like quite a new thing. Uh, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, like doing exercise in 1989 <laughs> was like quite out there. It was. I remember like the whole step Reebok revolution and my yeah. mum and her friends like going, it's like, oh, going to exercise. Oh, someone's modern. Yeah. And another thing is like, she, they're constantly drinking instant coffee, which obviously these days blows your fucking mind. <laughs> the pizza he has looks awful. And you just go, of course, in my head, everything was more or less the same technologically in the night, but it wasn't. That we it genuinely, the food and the drink and the culture like the culture of exercise and stuff was completely different when we were growing up. Yeah, well, do you know what? This came out in 97. They filmed it in 96. Arsene Wenger comes in in 96. Hence the jogging, the instant uh, coffee. Do you think? He just changed everything around North London, including the filming, the script. Oh, what? Do you think Do you think Arsene Wenger insisted they put jogging <laughs> in the script? <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> he changed everything about the club. This is what you've got to realise. What I will give it, so we we always talk about what what is the football like in football films. Now there's no, f there's a little bit of football, but not enough for us to judge it. I don't think. No. But what did you think of the crowd scenes? One of my first notes actually is is from one of the crowd scenes where um his dad has taken him. I think to his first game as an yeah. Arsenal fan, and. Uh, there's a shot of the crowd and it's that classic football shot where they've got it as, sort of, as wide as they can get in terms of being able to afford that yeah. volume of extras yeah, to fill the, fill the scene. But there's, there's a moment where um, they're sort of waiting and watching the game and then Arsenal score and the, the son turns to his dad oh, and he says, he says, that was a great goal. And then the dad goes, it was all right, wasn't it? And then the son goes, what happened? And then the dad <laughs> describes what they've just seen. It's and, and, so and this, weird. And this is, what, this is what has allegedly just happened, like, out of sight, off camera. There was a penalty. The goalie saves the penalty. And then there's a goal mouth scramble and Arsenal score during that scramble. Now, none of that is reflected in the crowd and their reaction. They're watching it kind of like, and they cheer sedately, but they cheer once. Now, if a penalty was taken and it was saved by the opposing keeper, you yeah. would have had that roar of disappointment with the <laughs> yeah. missed penalty. Then you would have had that kind of mad tension of the goal mouth scramble. And then the yeah. elation of the actual goal, yeah. it would have been fucking bedlam. They just, they just watched someone reach the boundary at a cricket game on a Sunday afternoon. They're like, it, 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 that was so unrealistic in terms of what they've allegedly witnessed. Is, is it, though? We're talking about Highbury. 
These are the least <laughs> fanatical fans in the world. Brilliant. There you go. That was Fever Pitch. And like I said at the start of the episode, the new series of Queen of Kevin is mere weeks away. So keep your eyes on the feed. We'll have another bonus episode next week and I'll put some more options on the Quickly Kevin Twitter tomorrow so you can vote for your favourite. And also, if you want to hear this episode in full, this episode is way longer than the little excerpt you've just heard there. You can get the full episode by signing up for the Quickly Kevin fan club, which is at anotherslice.com forward slash Quickly Kevin. All right, we'll see you next week. And until then, Robbie Slater, see you later. See you later.